Do we need to do a sound check? All right. Hi. Check, check. All right. Welcome to another edition of the Beer Opinions Podcast. My name is Pat Berger from Kaiser Tiger and Patty Longs. And with me, as always, is Bruce White from the Chicago Beer Experience. Did I get it? You got it, man. Yes, good. <laughs> How many of these have you done? <laughs> well, it's a, it's a long story, but I've been calling his business the wrong name for the first 30 episodes so that's ingrained <laughs> it's all good um yeah um doing well man how, how are things with you uh everything is great oh. uh woke up to snow this morning i know weather forecast weather update yeah uh, i first. feel like uh we should start giving the date the beginning of these podcasts yeah. so today is november 15th 2018 um and it's snowing in chicago that's um yeah it's uh it was a rough morning my commute took a lot longer uh, I think people it wasn't even really sticking too much but people were freaking out um, they do that yeah they yeah. forget how to drive yeah exactly um, but uh, oh and I want to give a shout out um, we have some loyal listeners in Arizona is that right uh, yeah so I was uh, so um, uh, cousin Timmy uh, out there he's a uh, a cousin of my girlfriend's family. He's got everybody out there. I had a bad feeling this was a family connection. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, usually our our listeners. So I wanted to give a preemptive <laughs> shout out. But he says he's got a lot of people out there listening. That's good. All right, Bruce's yeah. cousin. Thanks you. Thank you for listening. Bruce's dad, I'm sure, is listening. Yep. Yep. God for sure. bless him. Actually, and I think he might have stopped listening. I got to get him back. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame him. <laughs> um, we do have a guest today, uh, uh, second time on the podcast. Uh, uh, Liz Garaby is with us, and Liz is uh, spearheading the Bruseum Project here in Chicago. She is also known as Pub Crawl Liz over at the Old Town Ale House, and uh, some exciting stuff going on with the blog and the podcast over there. Yeah. Right? There's with, a podcast now. There's a podcast now. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, exciting. I was not responsible for the blog. That was all Bruce Elliott, the the mascot of Sort the, of proprietor of the Ale House. Yes, the geriatric genius. Yes. But no. you are a guest blogger. I am that. a guest blogger every week. In fact, I probably have hate messages in my inbox right now because today's my day and I haven't done it yet. Oh. So I'll probably post that. Uh, hate messages the, from uh, from the genius yeah, himself? Yeah. 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 His rule is you have to get it up by about 2.30, but if you don't have it up by like 9 a.m., you already get the hate messages. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, on the clock yeah, yeah. yeah so he's been blogging for a while um his best friend roger ebert encouraged him to to blog because he's got all kinds of goofy stories and i once upon a time wrote a blog read blogs but that was back in like 2000 so i told bruce he needed to turn his blog into a podcast and so now we co-host it together it's called as the ale house turns oh that's cool and yeah so, i'm yeah. always amazed at the um the popularity of, of Bruce's blog, um, not because it's like bad or something, but you know, I read it occasionally and I find it incredibly entertaining, but I know all of the characters in it, you know? And, yeah. um, we've talked about you before. Really? I think so. Yeah. Okay. You and Chris, no. Yeah. Well, Chris is in there occasionally. He's Irish. Chris, my business partner. <laughs> Last time I saw you, it was in there. It, in, uh, it, oh, we're talking about in old town itself. 
at the alehouse. The, yeah, at the alehouse. Yeah. Well, yeah, sure. I'm in the alehouse a lot. I don't think I've featured in the blog ever. Chris is. No, but we have mentioned you. Yeah, for sure. And oh, the, good. on the podcast, but it wasn't. It wasn't good. I'm sure it wasn't. <laughs> 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 it usually has to do with bacon and beer and curling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, those probably uh, worst things to be associated with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there are indeed. But uh, uh, it is hugely popular. And uh, it was picked up by Anthony Bourdain uh, years ago. And now there's yeah. a, he was uh, he featured Old Town Ale House in a couple episodes of a couple different shows, uh, The Layover and Parts Unknown. And, uh, you know, now, uh, uh, according to Bruce, because I was in there drinking the other night, uh, he uh, apparently is packed with tourists mourning Anthony Bourdain. Yeah, it, I will tell you that the the day that we all woke up and found out that Bourdain had passed away, it was a rough day for Bruce for sure. And usually he does not go to the bar on Friday nights. It's like his one day he takes off from the bar. And it was a Friday and I checked in with him right away because I knew it was not going to be pleasant. Yeah. And he, of course, was very somber. And I was like, look, you know what? I know you don't go to the bar on Friday nights, but I think tonight is a, a time you should go because I think it'll help you. And uh, I think, I don't know, people who are there will want to see you there because they know you guys were buddies. And, you know, people want to feel connected even to, like, a lot of these celebrity types that they feel like a personal sort of connection with in a way. So he went out, and uh, I got to tell you, it was a very weird night. Um, tons and tons of people came to the bar that night. Yeah, I came. Yeah, and it was, you, it, well, you probably remember, it was very quiet, and it was a weird sort of uh, evening. People came and left flowers on the windows and on the stoop, and uh, it was a curious time. But it was, yeah, and it was, uh, I know it just seemed the right place to go when you got yeah. that news was to head over to the L House. Um, but yeah, I think that took us all by, by surprise. For sure. Yeah. Anywho, let's get on to the Bruseum because there's yes. some very yeah. exciting news. Uh, yes. You guys have an exhibit at the Field Museum. We do. Yeah. So the Chicago Bruseum is uh, an idea I had in uh, late 2013, early 2014. And, and the idea was to someday uh, build a museum dedicated to telling the global story of beer. So really looking at how beer um, built cities, um, played a role in various aspects of history and culture, uh, and amazingly doesn't exist in the way our vision um, wants it to exist. So you've all been to maybe Dublin and visited Guinness or to Amsterdam and visited Heineken. Those are all museums that are fantastic places, but they all tell the story of one brand. Right. Or you've been to places mm -hmm. where they're like teeny little sort of museums that are about a small room size and they all have like old beer cans. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, or they're very teeny and might on the periphery tell the story of beer in some way, maybe in, I don't know, a city, a little town, whatever. So nothing, you know, we're looking at a 30,000 square foot facility someday and, um, you know, actual exhibition space, three galleries. So uh, tried and true museum, cultural institution. So I started building a team, uh, folks involved in the beer industry and the museum field and a bunch of authors and historians, documentarians. And we got to work building a mission, vision, brand, identity, all that good stuff. Um, and in 2016, we went public, so two years later. And here we are, four years after that sort of beginning, we are at the Field Museum. 
uh, with an exhibit. So we're pretty excited. It's a good uh, debut, in a sense. It's a good first exhibition, and uh, it's up through 2020. So uh, we're definitely considering it our temporary home until we get our own permanent home. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know how long it was up. Yeah. 2020? That's great. Yeah, we're there for a good amount of time. Yeah. Cool. What can people expect to see when they yeah. visit it? Uh, so it's called Brewing Up Chicago, How Beer Transformed a City. Um, and it focuses on 19th century Chicago. So beginning in 1833 with the foundation of not the city, but the town, and going through 1893 at the World's Fair. Um, it's We pack a lot of information in a small space. Um, there are four sections um, that also try to mirror the brewing process um, in terms of, of the way we name it. So, um, you know, f- uh, raw ingredients, you know, is 1830s, and then you mm-hmm. get into, um, you know, fermentation, maturation. Um, I'm missing one. I forget what it is. Uh, I worked on this so long, and I'm like, no, I'm like, I want to try to remove <laughs> myself because I'm ex- still exhausted. Probably too in the weeds. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it really just tells a story of the very first residents, and in particular, the German immigrant community who came here during the 1830s um, and started just building the city uh, later on with other immigrants and building the brewing industry. Uh, and, you know, it's not always a pretty picture, so there's some some good conflict in there. And we chose sort of like this this lens of the immigrant experience just so that people could maybe relate to it uh, with what's happening today. Yeah. Yeah. You know, l- let me ask you, what... What was the brewing scene like in Chicago in the late 1800s? Because I think we're all fairly familiar with the rise of breweries in St. Louis and Milwaukee. Sure. And Chicago being in between them. Were they keeping up with those two cities at the time? Were they ahead of them? Yeah. Well, one big question that we always get um, from late 1800s Chicago is that why didn't Chicago ever have like a big brand? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you think of Anheuser-Busch with St. Louis or Miller with Milwaukee and, you know, like a dozen other ones related to Milwaukee or Wisconsin. But there's nothing like that in Chicago. And the fact is, is that there were um, big ones, very big ones, Mm -hmm. um, but they didn't really need to go outside of the Chicago market Mm -hmm. because we were really thirsty always. And there was plenty of demand for people to consume everything that Chicago was producing. And then on top of that, everything that all these other regional cities were producing as well. So we never really kind of had that that one location, that one brand to really kind of connect us to, to the so Chicago almost, brand. Yeah, Chicago being such a, such a large um, uh, marketplace almost was detrimental to yeah. these breweries who... You know, and and everyone has to remember that there was no such thing as shipping your beer very far back then. Right. Certainly not your draft beer. And, um, you know, once refrigerated rail cars came about, there wasn't maybe the motivation for those breweries to ship their beer uh, all all over the Midwest or whatever, like Miller needed to do and and Anheuser-Busch needed to do. Right. And then when, you know, the homogenization of America took place, uh, those two were had a bigger national national brand name than, say, Meisterbrow that we had here in Chicago. Right. Yeah. I, I read once that um, that uh, not, you know, Milwaukee, obviously, with Pabst and Schlitz and other breweries, shipped regularly beer down to Chicago, but not once did a Chicago brewery ever ship beer up to Milwaukee. 
because they didn't yeah, need to. Didn't and need it to. was and it was a pain in the you know, it was tough. Yeah. You had to have that refrigerated rail car. You had yeah. to have it was expensive. There was, right. Yeah, and yeah. I mean that's actually one aspect of what the kind of stories we'll be telling at the future Chicago Museum is that, you know, we know that the meatpacking industry really sort of introduced refrigerated rail cars for the movement uh, of all of these products, but it was the breweries in the Midwest who really sort of took it to that next level yeah. to be able to ship their products as well. So right. that's sort of, um, you know, things that we can credit uh, a lot of the Midwestern breweries uh, of doing. Anheuser-Busch shipping to Texas in the summertime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like <laughs> Who was the biggest yeah. brewer in Chicago in 1890? Oh, man. Um, well, I think one name that people might recognize um, just because it's one of the, really the only buildings still standing is uh, Peter uh, Schoenhofen Brewing, which that building is still at 18th and Canal Port. Mm -hmm. um they made uh, a, a beer um they made several uh brands but their most popular brand was called edelweiss mm -hmm. um peter hand brewing company which you just mentioned meister brow yep right peter <laughs> hand brewing was at north and sheffield uh today um conrad site brewing company uh, which is a little bit further south um they were a big chicago name so i mean there were there were some significant sized breweries um that again it's kind of funny if you think about what's going on with beer today. It was all very similar and still very high number of breweries. But, you know, Chicago was growing like weeds and everybody was drinking. Right. <laughs> <laughs> still are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, interesting. Good. So um, a lot of this is, can be explained to uh, to our listeners if they visit the the Field Museum and uh, yeah, so, walk their way through through the exhibit. Yeah, so um, you know, like I said, it's kind of in these four sections, and you really kind of go through 1830s and 1840s Chicago, and you're learning about what life was like in Chicago, and actually that people were not drinking beer, um, really drinking whiskey at first, and then later on uh, English style beers were introduced, and then you're moving into the 1850s and 60s, and that's when we look at this little bit of conflict. Um, I think if you know a little bit about Chicago beer history, most people know about the 1855 Lager Beer Riots, which is Chicago's yeah. first moment of civil <laughs> unrest. So we actually did a little video, because it's a complicated subject. Um, so we have a three-minute video that's actually narrated by Chicago actor Michael Shannon. Oh, nice. Yeah. I, another uh, Old Town Ale House. regular. <laughs> <laughs> it pays to drink in a bar, everybody. It does, yeah. Uh, so Michael uh, did a great job for us. Um, Oscar-winning Michael Shannon, I believe, right? Is, I did he win or just nominated? I'm, I'm yeah. terrible about these things. I, I don't, don't know. know. Either way. Um, <laughs> yeah, and so then we move into the 1870s and 1880s, and it's all post-fire. So kind of say, you guys know a fire happened. Uh, and this is how it affected the brewing industry, but this is what happened uh, to the better. So it's really kind of sp focused on science and technology, and, and we talk a lot about Siebel, um, mm -hmm. the Siebel Institute, the country's first brewing school. And then we move into the 1890s with the World's Fair. Um, we have an original uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon on display, <laughs> and that has nothing to do with the World's Fair in a way, but um, we, tell yeah, about, so, we talk about that story. Yeah, that, let's talk about that, because and Pabst is in the news right now. And I, oh, I would yeah, like I actually, to, yeah. I would like to delve into that a little bit, but um, the the story I was always told, and in, until maybe the last few years was, was told that it's not true, is that Pabst Blue Ribbon was named Pabst Blue Ribbon because they won a blue ribbon at the Chicago World's Fair. right. But this is not quite right, is That's it? That's not true. It's not true yeah, at all. Yeah, so 
Pabst um, originally started out as Best Brewing Company, and eventually uh, Captain Frederick Pabst married into the, the the family, the Best family. When he took, he's actually very good at what he did, and, and took the brewery to um, a better place. And of course, he named it. Then he changed the name to Pabst Brewing Company. Yes. Because <laughs> why not? Why wouldn't? Um, and he started making a beer called Best Beer, Paps Best Beer, um, kind of a nice little play on words from you know their own heritage. Mm-hmm. And um, he started bottling the beer, and he really thought about marketing. And like a lot of these older beer barons, his original beer barons, really were like these marketing geniuses. And Paps was one of them. And he thought, if I have a beautiful blue silk ribbon on my bottles then people will look at it and say, that's a classy bottle, that's classy packaging, so the content must be classy as well, and that can make me feel good about myself. Yes. And it worked, and he started selling a lot of beer, um, and he was doing this prior to the 1893 World's Fair. He started doing this in the mid-1880s, and uh, there's a big battle that goes down at the World's Fair between a variety of brewers, but mostly between Pabst and Anheuser-Busch, and ultimately... Pabst is declared the winner, but they don't get a blue ribbon. Nobody gets a blue ribbon. In fact, regardless if you won or not, if you entered, right, you mm-hmm. got this gold medal. And if you got... Participation uh, trophies all the way back then. Exactly, huh? wow. exactly. There, there is no winner. There is no <laughs> loser. Um, so, yeah, everyone got their little gold medal. And then if you did win, you got a certificate. And okay. that was it. So we actually have, um, in dis- on display, we have the medal that was given to Pabst, and we have also the medal that was given to Schlitz Brewing Company. So you can see that they're no different. <laughs> uh, and that's really all they got. So, But we do have a piece of an original blue ribbon. Um, from a bottle? From a bottle, yeah. Oh, cool. Were these, are these on loan from... Uh... Yeah, we have amazing partners uh, who were really excited really excited uh, about the Chicago Museum and very supportive and excited about this uh, exhibition. So um, those objects come from the Paps Mansion in Milwaukee. Um, we have an original uh, model. Which I highly recommend people visit when they go to Milwaukee. It's a pretty cool it's little awesome. tour. Yeah. It's awesome. And yeah. at Christmas time, actually, it's really nice, too, if you guys are up there. They decorate it. It's very like Dickensian and stuff. Oh, neat. Uh, yeah. Um, the we have a um, the original. So all of these breweries created these pavilions and basically recreated mini versions of their breweries at their pavilions at the World's Fair, and they're very elaborate. And so we have the original Paps building from the fair uh, in the exhibit, and that's on loan from the Milwaukee County Historical Society. Oh, cool. And we have also pieces of other parts of that pavilion, so like a little trolley car, a little gazebo, a little, just a little dispatch office. Um, so they're another great partner. Uh, we have objects from the Siebel Institute, of course. Um, we have a 19th century brewing kettle. That's sort of like the centerpiece of the show. Uh, we've got objects from Black Point Estate and Gardens in Lake Geneva, which is part of the Wisconsin Historical Society. Um, that the Black Point Estate is uh, the summer home of Conrad Sipe. Oh, cool. Um, so they've preserved all kinds of things related to Sipe Brewing Company. How um, big are these models from the of the breweries? The, the Paps building is pretty large. Like that's aside from the um, this massive copper kettle we have from Siebel, uh, this is our biggest piece. And we actually had to build a special uh, case just for it. Awesome. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool when you see it up close and personal. 
Um, Donkhaus, Chicago, German American Cultural Center. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Lent us a bunch of really cool mm. objects. Uh, and we've got all kinds of cool images from the Chicago History Museum collection. I'm always curious about the Donkhaus. It's, it, it's an imposing building down on Western uh-huh. and Lawrence. And uh, they are like a German club that uh, also, I think, is heavily involved in the German-American fest that goes on in Lincoln yeah, Square. Yeah, they do a lot of stuff. Actually, they have right now um, at Donkhaus, they have a small exhibition um, kind of about beer and bars because they have all of the objects, well, many of the objects, and many of them are on display from the um, Brow House, Chicago Brow House, which is no longer. Uh, yeah. So they have a like Rest Brow House uh, exhibition up there. Oh, cool. And, and, and anyone can go to the Donk House, right? It's Even open it's, every day. It's open every to day, the public. Right? Yeah, yeah. And they have great um, parties. Yeah, they do. And they have a great public space. Uh, so if you ever see an event happening at Donk House, buy a ticket, go, because uh, their their public event spaces are really beautiful. And I think they have a little air rifle range in there. Really? Have you seen I didn't that? Know that? Yeah. I'm, I'm, got, I'm going there on Monday, and uh, I'm going <laughs> to ask to see that. Ask to see the air rifle range. Um, <laughs> Cool. Um, back to PBR. I think it's hilarious that, you know, you mentioned their marketing strategy, which was yeah. genius at the time, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, let's class up our beer. Let's, even though, you know, it probably tastes the same as all the other beers, we're going to strictly through visuals give you the impression that this is a higher quality product. It's the same marketing strategy that Heineken took in the 1950s and 60s and uh, and it made them the number one import in America for many, many years. Um, even yeah. though in you know in the Netherlands, Heineken is considered the cheapest beer you can buy. Yeah, right. Um, in in back and correct me if I'm wrong on this, both of you, but you know back in the late 1800s, it probably was one of the more higher end beers. I mean, it was a lager centric. I mean, there were a lot of lagers. I mean, there was a commoditization to beer, but this was before the era of craft. This is before oh, IPAs. Yeah. This is before, These are all lager. you know. Yeah, and that's it, actually something we kind of touch on in the exhibit amazingly because I always say that when you go to the Brazil or anything we do, you're not going to learn about how to make beer. Because I always say, just go to a brewery, take yeah. a tour. Yep. They do a great job. But um, one thing that we do have is um, you have a lot of content in each of these sections. So we decided that each section should have its own beer break so that you can see and learn about the style of beer that was prevalent at that particular decade in that era. So um, Randy Mosier was on our content team. He's on our National Advisory Board for the uh, Chicago Museum. And he did this great job of really describing what was happening. And we had these cylinders of actual grain so you can see the grain content. Uh, of that particular beer. And for that era of the 1890s, you know, it really is a situation where it's all just Americanized um, lagers or pilsners, you know, things that that the local brewers are now using local products, uh, mostly corn, of course, or rice, to to make uh, the beer. So I think that by that time, Bruce, you're looking at, you know, a lot of these bigger breweries doing a little bit of the same. Yeah. Uh, in a way, yeah. and I think also being very different than than what's already happened. It's been happening uh, overseas. Yeah. And then, you know, PBR went dormant for a while, right? So, I mean, it was the, um, you know, one of the top breweries. Number two the, or number three, I think. Yeah, in yeah. The, in the uh, Schlitz was number one, yeah. I think, until the late 50s, early yeah. 60s. Um, and then what, you know, what marketing genius then come you know, a marketing genius that then comes around only 10 years ago and says, you know, we need to market PBR 
mm-hmm. uh, to the hipsters as the cheap beer, you know, that their dad yeah. or granddad would drink. So they went the opposite direction and uh, had enormous success, right? So it's it just goes to show you can, you know, for sure, <laughs> the liquid isn't always the most important thing with these, you know, with yeah, beer. It's, it's just heavily marketed. Sentimental value, yeah. like you'll see that a lot here with old style, of course. Yep. Right. Yep. You know, uh, and when Miller redesigned their cans to be a more classic old label, I think their sales, Miller Lite sales shot up, you know, over 10 percent just because of that label change, because people wanted that authenticity. They wanted that that nostalgia. Well, history is hot. guys. (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) It's on fire. So, so, okay, what? Do you think of this whole Paps thing right now? Yeah. So for the listeners who uh, who haven't heard about this, Paps is is in trouble because Paps is uh, essentially a contract brand has been for a while because um, I think it was actually owned by Miller for a little while um, and then uh, when they they shut down the Paps Brewery when I was in college, I got a tour before it shut mm. down when I was up there playing rugby once. And uh, so I, I guess I would early 90s, uh, Paps Brewery shut down, and I think Miller took control of the label and continued to produce it. And then a savvy uh, uh, Greek family business that specialized in um, sort of uh, reinventing or rebranding uh, classic American brands, you know, like sort of resurrecting them. Uh, yeah. They bought it, and they came up with that strategy that like, hey, let's send out like tattooed young kids to the bar to buy people, you know, PBRs and let's make this the cheap beer of the 22 year old, you know, and it worked immensely and uh, really resurrected the whole idea of retro beer, which is very hot right now. Um, you know, you got your hams and your cores or not cores, but cores banquet. Cores I, would, banquet. I, would, yeah. I would consider yeah. that, uh, you know, all these brands are having a little bit of a, of a resurrection due to PBRs marketing efforts. Um, now, the contract is up and Miller has been making this beer and watched it balloon to over 4 million barrels a year. Um, the contract is up in 2020 and they're saying, well, you know, uh, we don't have the capacity to keep making it. Um, or we can make it at this price, which I think is significantly more than they're charging right now. I did enjoy that. They did. They had, they said what the price was. It's $13 per barrel, I think. Wow. I think it's gone up to 45 now. So it went up. They in 2015 it tripled, um, and they they were aghast by it. Went up to, to 45. Uh, so it might have been 13 before that time. That's oh. nuts. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, yeah. What I read was that they were charging them 13 bucks per barrel. That's per barrel. So that's seven dollars fifty cents a half barrel. Yeah. Like full size keg. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, you know. PBR is basically saying, look, you're, you're essentially going to put us out of business because we're a whole idea of PBR is that it's cheap. And if, you know, you're charging us more to make it, we can't, we have to charge more to sell it and blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, Miller's saying, well, look, you know, we had to close, they closed two very large breweries in the last year or two. And they're saying, you know, we don't have the capacity anymore. We're not obligated to make your beer for you. And yes, you are a competitor. You know, and uh, mm-hmm. why would we make your beer? So they put PBR in a strange because I, I don't know if there's anyone else capable of making four and a half million barrels of beer for them. Uh, you know, maybe there is, but uh, it's a it's a I, I've never heard of a situation like this myself. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I so the law there's a lawsuit now, and yeah. the lawsuit's for four hundred million dollars. Yes. So this is not a chump change. Uh-huh. Um, and Almost half uh, a billion that um, that uh, Pabst is suing um, Miller. You know, when I was looking at this from a legal, because the headlines are you know not sensational and, and interesting, but not descriptive. So I think what happened was they signed a contract. And the contract is up in 2020, but they have to good faith. They have to negotiate it in good faith. And the only reason that Miller can get out of extending it is by saying they don't have the capacity. Right. So, in other words, competition or price or other things aren't really allowable right. uh, based on what sure. they signed. So then Miller's like, "We don't have the capacity," and they're like, "Yes, you do." And they're like, "But we're going to close it." Uh, you know, not, we might yes. have to close. So it's this argument. So it's a really interesting, it's kind of an interesting from a nerd lawyer perspective uh, from a contract dispute. It's really a right. contract dispute at the end of the day. Yeah. But it is interesting because you're beholden to brew a competitor's product who you probably didn't think would grow at the pace it grew. And it's now eating into your own brands. Right. So I understand it from Miller's perspective. I also understand it from Pat. I, I get it, you know. It's, right. Yeah. At the same time, Miller is still making money off this beer. Totally. Yep. You know. They should just buy it. Well, maybe that's what they're doing. Maybe mm-hmm. they're forcing a sale. It's, maybe, a, it's, you know? a, it's, a, it's a play. Yeah. yeah they're like, yeah, hey, we don't totally. have room for it, but we, we'll take it off your hands. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? We'd like that one back, the, please. And the price when there's no other options. You know, that price is maybe going to be a little lower than yeah. if they, yeah. You know, it's an interesting little soap opera that, you know, I, I enjoy because I couldn't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> PBR could be gone tomorrow. It would not affect my world at all. Oh, I mean, the beer drama. But you're also from St. Louis, so let's yeah. let's, let's put that out That's there. That's true. You, you need to be honest with your uh, oh, allegiances. She said that in a malice way. Like uh, <laughs> I almost wear my club sweatshirt today just to... <laughs> Oh, that's great. Yeah, like a little bitter Cub fan. (laughs) Oh, I love that banter, Pat. I know, I know. Yes, it was a bad season for both of us. I'll bring up yours if you bring up mine. But uh, you know, it is. It's it's uh, it's sort of unprecedented. So it's kind of fun to watch it all play out, and it's kind of hysterical for. Um, to watch PBR say, "Oh, you're just trying to crush the competition." Now, please make our beer. Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an odd situation yeah, to be in. You know, it's, it's so <laughs> awkward. Beer drama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, uh, but you know, it's a, it's a, more of the history of uh, of American beer brands. So it, it does tie into. Uh, yeah, I mean, they should really kind of figure it out because they both come from the same city. For God's sakes, they do. You know, so uh, I think. I think for them to find some sort of agreement will make all of those cheese heads and a lot of the Midwesterners <laughs> happy. And the hipsters. Although, yeah. I don't know. Is it priced out of a hipster beer now? I don't know. PBR? Uh, you know, I don't no, know either. I really don't drink, though. That. It's, Sean's not in our, our radio guy. He's kind of, kind of a hipster. I mean that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah. He's in a band, you know. I don't think any hipster takes being called a hipster a compliment. It's not. Oh, I'm sorry. No, sorry. It's kind of a self-hating <laughs> thing. <laughs> I meant cool, you know? Like, you know. He's our cool younger. I mean, how much is a PBR? Well, I don't even know. When you go to the bar. I don't know. <laughs> you don't, what, what, well, do you I, sell PBR here? No. No. <laughs> I, I, I mean. No, we don't. We sell Schlitz, which I think is uh, owned by the same company. So um, why did you say it like that? 
<laughs> well. Wait, tell me, tell me, give me your perspectives on the difference between Schlitz and PBR. Well, they have different labels <laughs> and <laughs> they, different different names. One's white. One, yeah. One's blue. One says Schlitz on it. The other one says Paps Blue Ribbon. I don't know. There's no difference. I know. Yeah, I could, you know, the only reason we don't have PBR is because we think we're too cool for it. So we went with Schlitz. But, um, right. yeah, Fair I mean, I, you know. Nice. That's fair. You own the joint. Yeah. I should probably sell Hams. I think Hams is the uh, the new hipster beer. The hipsters are, are past PBR. It's passe. It's too big. So now they're all about the hmm. Hams, which, by the way, is owned by PBR. <laughs> <laughs> They're, they're all they're all under the they, same they've, pretty much they've umbrella. Got us any way we go, they yeah. are. You know, the, this company that has PBR, uh, they had a strategy to kind of go around because they had such success with PBR. They're like, well, let's go around and resurrect all of these regional, nineteen yeah. fifties grandpa brands, as they call them. And uh, so they did it with um, uh, with hams. I think they have. Uh, the, the Detroit Brewers, yeah, Strohs, yep, yep, and and uh, they also said we're gonna, you know, because it's all contract brewed, but we're gonna contract it in the state in which it was originally brewed, which you know is that cool? I don't know, whatever. I think it right. tries to be I a little mean, bit more authentic. Yeah, yeah it makes exactly. it, you know, yep. it makes it more authentic, and they're only targeting those regions. You know, sure. you can't sell Narragansett they're, they're, beer in you know, right? They're Arizona, pulling on the no one knows what it is. Right, right, for sure. Um, also, I would say that if you ever called a grandpa a grandpa and said grandpa things, I don't think that would be very positive either. Like hipster. You, oh, yeah? yeah. You know, I don't know. If you called someone a grandpa like that? Uh, well, grandpa I called, beers? I called the beer a grandpa yeah. beer. Yeah. But hipster your beers, grandpa. grandpa beers? To be honest, it's, like, it's, you know, the kids drinking this, their grandpas probably are a lot younger than my grandpa was. So they're not, it mm. probably wasn't their grandpa's beer. Yeah. Probably more yeah. like Budweiser yeah. or Sierra Nevada's yeah. their grandpa right. beer. Oh God! <laughs> I don't think quite yet. Maybe Jesus. no, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're getting there. We're getting there. This goes back to all the bars being retro and playing '90s instead right. of '80s. Yes, yeah. You can't have a '90s party. That doesn't exist. '70s parties. Those are acceptable. Back when parties. I was in high school, we used to have a '50s '60s dance, and yeah, now yeah. and then it turned into the '70s '80s dance, and then yes. I don't know what the hell they have now. Yeah. Well, now they're doing '90s parties. It's crazy. I don't know what 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 do you wear at a '90s party? Like ripped jeans, think and a, a lot of denim. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, whitewash. Yeah, you get your. Um, I have no idea. I don't. Know. I, don't I wasn't cool in the '90s. I've never been cool. Yeah. So I don't Unfortunately, know I'm pretty much yeah. wearing the same shit I wore in the '90s. So <laughs> like you, you should start dressing like the boy bands. The boy bands of yeah, the '90s. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I guess there's that. Yeah. I don't know. I I don't know either. I don't. <laughs> I, I don't I, remember the '90s, I, to be honest with you. I I got to, I used to work with a guy, and he's he's a great. He kind of reminded me of Chris Farley, really nice guy. But he would come in, and he I just remember one day he came in my office all in a huff, and he's like, "You know what? The I went to college in the early '90s. It ruined everything. Uh, everybody was in big flannels and jeans. AIDS just came out. Nobody had sex." <laughs> That's wow. my story. I'm sorry. Well, I just well, went where there. Where did he go to school? <laughs> Northwestern. Oh, that explains it. No one's having sex at Northwestern. It was still dry in the 90s, too. It was, yeah. Evanston. Yeah. Oh, Evanston. Uh, sorry, Wildcats. At uh, Loyola, yeah. you know, they all had to come up to our bars in Rogers Park and yeah. slum yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> Go to Hamilton's. Yep. What is this place? Yeah. Like, what, where are all those preppies come from? Yeah. Oh, Northwestern. You know. Okay, wait. I seriously want to... How much... Is a Pabst or a Hams or a Schlitz? How much does you guys sell Schlitz for? 
uh, probably more than we should. Four bucks. I, I was going to say, I think the a lot I've seen it like four four bucks seems to be like at the the nicer bars, like somewhere yeah, in there. I, I think three bucks at a dive bar is probably what those yeah. beers cost. They used to be you used to get Tall Boys for like two bucks, um, but I think those days might be gone. Hmm. Um, I did drink a PBR last Saturday at a rugby game. I, I, uh, they were selling them for uh, three dollars, so oh, sixteen ounce Tall where? Boys at the Chicago Lions pitch. Where's that? I thought they were free, and this guy's like, "Hey, that's three bucks." <laughs> like, oh, damn it! <laughs> it's over on the west side. <laughs> Would you have grabbed it if you actually knew you had to give over, fork over three bucks? Uh, I did fork over the money. Would I have grabbed? No, it? Yeah, yeah, I was thirsty. Yes, I, you know, went in a room. You know, it's all, it's better than water. You know, right? I guess. Speaking <laughs> of, of, of Schlitz, uh, I think is it. So here's a story that I had heard. Correct. Um, yeah. It's probably wrong. Um, if you take the tours, you're going to get a lot of wrong history. My apologies. But uh, the the Schlitz story that I've heard is after the Great Chicago Fire, 1871, destroys, I think, 19 breweries in Chicago. Yep. A lot of the biggest breweries right downtown. Um, the story goes that as the wires were going up to Milwaukee, this destructive fire, they loaded their beer on the train, and then they sent it down, and it was like the first beer to be served in Chicago, um, like as they were extinguishing the flames. Well, that's a little uh, dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the flames yeah, were out. Yeah, it was yeah, probably yeah, October 12th, yeah, not 10th, yeah, yeah. the and last then, day of the fire. Um, no, but that's true. Schlitz did, uh, again, part of the marketing geniuses of a lot of these guys, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, he thought he realized that um, this was the time to get his beer into a new market, a large market. And so he loaded up not only boats, but trains and uh, sent some beer down and said, you know, tragedy sucks. You guys must be really thirsty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, enjoy. And it really kind of was uh, the moment where you saw, started seeing Schlitz. And even after Chicago's, you know, the 19 breweries that were within that fire limit, which was pretty large, um, you know, what happens is two things. One is that the breweries that were outside of that, you know, boundary – Conrad Sipe, they just exploded, sure. right? Even the smaller ones, because they're the only ones being able to make beer for for a major metropolitan area that's that's really not making any beer right now. Um, and the other thing is, is that again, it, it allows for other brands to to come in, into the market, and so people are familiar with Schlitz, and I think that they truly do, almost in a way, remember that gesture, yeah, of that of that of having that beverage, and so it creates brand loyalty. Mm-hmm. In a sense, and and so by you know we're we're already making beer, and our brewing industry is doing really well, really well by the you know late 1870s, um, and certainly grows in the 1880s and booms in the 1890s, uh, just the way the rest of the city does, mostly because of the World's Fair, and the benefits that come from that. Um, but you know, Schlitz is still around, and yeah. this is also a time when a lot of the breweries are now buying bars, you know, known as tied houses, tied to a brewery. And, um, you know, I, I, I call those tide houses sort of like the tap rooms of the 19th century because literally you could walk into a bar and have all the beer from that beer brand. And so that's why you see Schlitz all over the place, all the Schlitz globes um, all throughout the city. And, Still and, now, yeah. Yeah, Sheba's, yeah. Southport Lanes. Um, yep. So, yeah, they did a nice job. That's, again, great marketing uh, approach by yeah. Joe, but, Joe Schlitz. Yeah, people have to remember that uh, bars didn't carry more than one beer. Yeah. You didn't yeah, go in 80s. asking for a yep. Schlitz. You didn't go in asking for a brand name. You went, just went in asking for a beer. 
Uh-huh. And you just got whatever, you know, they, they served one beer. That must have been. Here's what we've got today. It's been easy on order day. That's what I, inventory <laughs> must have been a piece of cake. Yeah. Our inventory sheets are four pages long. They, I feel God. like there is a bar in New York. I want to say it's McSorley's. McSorley's. Yeah. yeah. And you get a darker light. Darker light. <laughs> Always go dark. Always go dark. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 1854. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's yeah there's a, it's still pretty common in Germany. And there's, there's a great brew pub in Munich that you got two choices. Light yeah. and dark. <laughs> Hellas and Dunkel. Yeah. That's it. And only comes in a liter. Yeah. <laughs> See, what? That's, that's great. Why complicate things? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. Just, I don't want to have to make a choice. Decision Why complicate things? Tell me what I should be drinking. Liz, I'm afraid the whole crap beer movement has uh, rested <laughs> on complicating things. Okay. I know. I know. <laughs> I love all I, I love all you craft breweries out there. I really do. Hey, I'm wearing I'm wearing. You're wearing your half acre uh, yeah, sweatshirt today. I usually today. am clothed in some brewery or something. Yeah, well, the, I am too. The price is right. It's usually <laughs> free. <laughs> Not for what, me. I, no, you had to pay for that. Yeah, this was. Uh, th- I bought this sweatshirt from Half Acre in 2007. Wow. Eight 2007 2008 right after they. Switched to the newer logo. Oh, it's vintage. Yeah, this is a vintage one. There you go. Nice. Well, I don't know. You, they, they should give you a sweatshirt, I think. Hey, I'm available for uh, uh, clothing Yeah. and branding. We need to put that on the blog, all of our addresses. <laughs> People can send. Uh, I'm, I'm not allowed to take anything home. Oh, anymore. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, do, I'll do trades. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, trade Chicago Bruseum. Uh, t-shirts yeah. and things. For My wife's got me on a two-out-one-in policy. So if I bring home oh. a t-shirt, oh, do you really want it? Get rid of two. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like you're a kept man. Well, you know, she gives me a, a large <laughs> yard to play in, let's just say that. She's a very understanding woman. I, I Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know her. Yes. Yeah, she's a saint. Uh, that aside, um, uh, the exhibit is going through 2020. Do we have any mm-hmm. updates on, um, the physical museum? Um, literally, uh, the field museum, we've been chatting with them about this exhibit. Uh, all the, the talk started, gosh, about a year ago and it's already a little bit more serious. And so then I started to sort of, um, adjust our strategy uh, for the bigger picture. And in it wasn't until May that they gave us the true green light to proceed. And so it was so fast and furious. I was like in my own little hole yeah. for most of 2018, uh, putting this together with my team. Um, so everything else I had to sort of put on hold mm-hmm. and focus on the exhibition and literally just opened two weeks ago. Right. Um, so yes, now we are uh, refocusing on next steps in our strategy. Um, in January, we'll be announcing a pretty big project, a uh, two-year project that involves a lot of uh, cultural institutions around the city uh, and our connections to beer. Um, so I can come back and talk about that come January when when uh, awesome. it's all all the Very details cool. are hammered out. Yeah. Um, but uh, alongside that is definitely uh, our we're laser focused on getting that location. Cool, for sure. That's awesome. Um, 
Oh, yeah. And I think uh, when when now when people go in the Field Museum, where is it in that space? So, and it's included right in the regular admission. Yep, yep. it's not a special uh, ticket or anything like that. We're actually in a great spot. Um, are you guys familiar with the Lions of Zavo? Yeah, yeah down it, downstairs, right? No, it's like or, a main floor. Or main floor, main okay. Floor. Yeah. Yep. So the Lions of Zavo um, are these man-eating lions who are sort of this rarity uh, from the late 1800s uh, in Africa. Ghost in the Darkness, right? Yeah, the Val- with, with, movie with Val Kilmer Val is what Kilmer. made him sort of really famous. <laughs> anyway, so after they, uh, I don't want to ruin the movie, but they eventually captured him. And um, <laughs> the Field Museum uh, got them, uh, and they are on display, and it's a destination exhibit. And it's in this large sort of open area, which is really neat. And so Brewing Up Chicago is literally across from the Lions of Zavo. Cool. So we're in a really great spot. And it's a great spot, too, if you ever want to have a party around a beer exhibition because there's a big open space. Oh, That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. And, yeah, I just think it's great, too. Like, uh, I always say, I feel like when people think of history in Chicago, a lot of times people go right to that Prohibition era. Yeah. Um, but the 1900s history in Chicago is, to me, way more fascinating because it's really when the city was just being built from scratch. Yeah, 1800s and, for sure. Yeah, or 1800s. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. um, and, um, you know, it's just it's just so interesting. And, and most people, you know, don't really know it. Yeah. Um, so in the beer lens is such a cool way to really understand how the city started from scratch. And I remember last time you shared that story about how the city – or the town started in a bar yeah, and then the city was incorporated right. in a bar. And yeah. so like you have these ties to, uh, to beer and booze so that are really interesting and neat, I think. So, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a way to turn my love of sitting in a bar and drinking <laughs> into a career, <laughs> I suppose. Uh, no, yeah, it's, it's uh beer. The I'm beer familiar industry. with that. <laughs> The beer industry um, to Chicago, not just to Chicago, the Midwest is, is so pivotal. You know, people talk about um, railroads and stockyards and architecture, but I always say you have to throw beer in there. And, you know, one thing, too, is that even though we're called the Chicago Museum and even though we will be in Chicago, this is not just a Chicago story. It'll definitely be focused on um, our city, but the Midwest, the country, the world. Uh, you know, beer connects to everyone. Um, so it's, we're excited to be able to tell all these stories one day. That's awesome. And then when you you mentioned kind of when we first started how immigration, it's a really interesting lens to view that as well. Mm-hmm. Can you give a little more details into that? Because I think that's also really fascinating in terms of. Yeah, well, if you think about it, you know, uh, Chicago begins with uh, some very important Native American tribes. Later on, you have French Canadian fur traders coming through these two groups are sort of existing together. And then you have like the early Americans that are really kind of British because we're a British colony. And it's not until after the Louisiana Purchase um, that Chicago, the area that would be Chicago, becomes a very important point um, for the growth of the country. And there's really nothing happening except for, you know, these three sort of groups in their own different ways, sometimes coexisting, sometimes not. And it's not until the late 1820s, 1830s that you get the first true wave of European immigrants, and those are all Germans. And so lucky for us, the Germans are bringing their skill sets, right? So you have got a lot of bakeries, a lot of butcher shops, and a lot of breweries. And so if you think about it, right, these butchers are also sort of help 
the catalyst with the stockyard, mm-hmm. you know, with the meatpacking industry. And same with the, the brewing industry. And so it really is about these people coming to a new place and just existing, right? Just being, this is who they are, this is their identity, this is their culture. And uh, they're just introducing things into a new place um, and creating a brand new culture in a sense. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in Chicago, um, well, of course, in any Midwest city, you have that German heritage, right? So St. Mm -hmm. Louis, Milwaukee, Cincinnati, Cleveland, we all have this really strong shared German history because most of the Germans during the 1830s, 40s, 50s came to the Midwest. And then by the 1840s, 1850s, you really kind of have everyone else, Irish first and then pretty much everyone else. And so everyone is already integrated into the existing industries that some of the earliest immigrants uh, um, started. And for us, again, that's a big chunk of it is the brewing industry. So immigrant stories are really, really pivotal yeah. to the the beginnings of our city. That's awesome. And then uh, can you touch a little on that, the lager beer riots? I know a lot of people may know that story, sure. but I just think it's such a neat, and it really captures some of that tension, I think, as well. Yep. Um, in the 1850s, 1855, we have uh, political parties already, of course, and there's, an, uh, there's a party called the American Party, um, and they're already sort of they're called also called nativists, meaning that they their families had been in this part of the world already, and, and they already are feeling like they belong, and all these other immigrants are not really a part uh, of of who they are and what they're trying to do. Um, they're That's weird. I've never heard of such <laughs> yeah, a situation. What, huh. The history right. repeats itself. Unusual. I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go, yeah. Go on. Yeah. yeah. So one <laughs> one fella in that in that American party, the Nativist Party, also know, I called the Know Nothings because the saying is is that they would be shuffling along the street and someone would call them out on something and they would turn around and say, "I know nothing. I know nothing." Right. Um, is a man by the name of Levi Boone who also happens to be our mayor, and so Levi Boone really is very anti-immigrant and he really wants to do things to make their lives very difficult and because many of them work in the bar industry and the brewing industry alcohol in general um, he starts to change liquor laws and uh, licensing fees and really makes it so that they can't afford to pay all these things Um, uh, bars are now illegal Uh, it's illegal for a bar to open on Sundays which is kind of like the day where everyone goes to drink because people are working you know, 12, 14 Six hours days a day, a week, yeah. at least, Monday yeah. through Saturday. So it really becomes mm. like this battle that is rooted in people's freedom to drink what they wanted to drink and where they wanted to drink. So what ends up happening is for the first time ever, a lot of these immigrant groups organize. And remember, they don't even speak English. They're speaking their own native languages. And so there are some folks that uh, are able to to can speak English. And so they kind of organize themselves with some, some community leaders and they decide that uh, on a day where there's going to be a trial for a lot of the bar owners, a lot of people who broke the laws that he just tried to change, they decide that they're going to fight back and they're going to riot. And so they uh, storm City Hall. And there's, again, it's a very lot, a lot of happens in between here. Um, and they fight back. And ultimately, Levi Boone doesn't change, changes the laws back. And so, you know, the good guys win. But it's called the 1855 lager beer riot because lager beer was the popular style of beer. Um, it was very German style of beer, of course. And it was sort of like it was the truth. The the truth of it is, is that by Levi Boone saying you cannot drink this beer, you cannot drink on these days for, for a lot of the Germans and a lot of the immigrants, it was like almost like someone saying 
you can't be this person. Mm-hmm. It was almost like Levi trying to attack yeah. their identity, their very existence. He's crushing their culture. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, the other side of that too is that he changes the laws and everyone's okay for a minute. But then the next year, he is also up for re-election. And again, history repeats itself, right? A lot of these immigrant groups did not go to vote because they didn't think it mattered. But they stay organized and they say, we've got to make sure he doesn't get re-elected. So in 1856, they go uh, vote and he does not get re-elected. So for me, the 1855 Lager Beer Riot is not just Chicago's first moment of civil unrest. It really is sort of the beginnings of our identity as a political machine. Political power. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, because they continue to, to sort of fight back after that. And if you look at our history, you know, even uh, into the 1860s, 70s, 80s, 90s, um, you have all of this fight, you know, these people coming together to fight. So, you know, Haymarket riot or, you know, all these different, different uh, labor movements, um, again, rooted in immigrant history, rooted in just people's rights to to be. Yeah. No, thank you. That's I, super interesting. So thank yeah, you. So yeah, Michael yeah. Shannon tells you way better than I do. <laughs> so go to the exhibit. Go to the, have an Oscar nominated <laughs> actor yeah, yeah. explain this to you. Yes. Did you ever see the video of Michael Shannon reading the letter from the sorority girl? This is like, it went viral maybe four no. years ago. This, it was like a, it, a poor, poor woman never deserved it, but it went viral and she wrote a really bitchy letter to her sorority sisters uh-huh. about like how to behave at, um, you know, parties with fraternities. And, uh, and it's great. I mean, it's just, you're reading it. You're like, I can't believe somebody wrote this, but this, you know, she's a college kid. She doesn't deserve the viralness yeah. that it went, but Michael Shannon did end up reading it. Awesome. And, and it's, it's an Oscar-worthy performance He's in itself. Great. I mean, uh, it was just the... F- I don't think I've ever laughed hard. Every sorority letter is better r- read by Michael Shannon. <laughs> yeah. Every movie is better with Michael Shannon in it. He does some great true, voiceovers. You know. He just did... Um, uh, he did some audio stuff from some of Leonard, Leonard Cohen's material. He just... There's a... there's a um, Sam Shepard's last book, they had a different person read a different chapter. I believe, okay. and uh, Mike did one of one of the chapters. Um, yeah, he's got a great voice, and uh, I'm not surprised that that letter went viral if he was reading it. Yeah, yeah, it was like a funnier die yeah. like yeah. thing, you know. Yeah, and he's a fixture in Old Town and yeah. the whole whole neighborhood. He does, I used he to wait around. on him back in. Oh, back really? In, yeah, my days at Corcoran's. Oh, nice. I just knew him as Michael from uh, Red, Red Orchid. Orchid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know, and then literally like the next year he got nominated for. Academy Award. It was like, oh my God. But that's kind of like the thing about Chicago actors is that no one really gives a fuck about what's Mm -hmm. happening, Mm -hmm. you know, the celebrity side of things. It's true. Everyone is just Yeah, I think New York is the same. Am I allowed to swear? Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Absolutely. But yeah, Chicago is, is, you know, it's similar to New York in that respect that, you know, people don't bother celebrities too much. Yeah. You know, John Lennon was able to walk around. Well, until they shot him. (laughs) <laughs> what's well, sorry that's what happened <laughs> yeah but no one he wasn't asked that for an would autograph never happen in chicago <laughs> that would never happen in chicago of course not no shootings here yeah. uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all right on that note um let's go around and uh talk about what we have happening liz uh i know you have your exhibit is there anything else um uh going on um Yes, uh, we have a lot of events happening. 
um, over the course of the next couple years. You're going to be, again, we're launching this project in January. You'll hear more about that. But um, on December 2nd, we are launching a history beer dinner series. Cool. Um, cool. Where we're going to do some fun things at different places around town. And December 2nd, we're going to have the first ever beer dinner at Girl and the Goat. Oh. Um, Yeah. So uh, it's a specially uh, curated uh, menu of some favorites alongside some great pairings. Um, And then that'll be the first of many that we do. December 2nd? Uh, yep, December 2nd. Actually, tickets don't even go on sale until Friday. Um, and how can people get tickets? Chicagobruseum.org cool. is our website. All you right. can go Perfect. through there. Uh, so things like that. Um, we'll be announcing uh, various points in time, so check that out. Um, I might have to go to that one. Yeah, I think so. It's, I think it's going to be good. I think I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> I assume. Um, and then, you know, uh, I do different things uh, on my own here and there. Um, actually, very similar to what, some stuff that Bruce does. I don't focus so much on, on breweries, but more about bars and uh, history. Uh, I get deep into history. So I've got a, a walking tour in Old Town uh, next weekend. And uh, yeah, and what's the w- website? It's For that one, it's historyontap.com. History on tap, right. Yeah, yeah okay, historyontap.com. Cool. Yeah, that's how we met. You used to do a tour that went into Patty Long. Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah. I don't even uh, know what that one was. Maybe an Irish one. Yeah, I don't remember either, but that's how I learned most of the history of the building. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> I think you guys should do a... I know you're doing your pop-up right now. We are, yeah. But I think you should uh, uh, do a throwback. Oh, that'd be cool. Oh, that is a good idea. To? To Lowry's? Yeah. Do you like a to fried... Lowry's? Yeah. What is that? Fried chicken and smoke in the bar? <laughs> Well, Lori's was many things. Uh, I have been in contact with Lori lately because I got some pictures from Lori's or Lowry's? Uh, I'm sorry. Well, his name is Lawrence. And I think the bar was meant to be called Lori's. But yes, it it, it read as Lowry's, like the the steakhouse. But uh, it was Lori's for uh, 70 years. Um, Yeah. So quite a, his dad was also Lawrence. Uh, And Lori is still, uh, you know, still living around the corner. Really? Yeah, yeah. Does he come in? Uh, well, he did uh, last week to drop off some pictures, but no, I hadn't seen much That's of them. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, it's an idea. Yeah, I think so. That'd be cool. I'd be there. I gotta get some Prager beer. All the, you know, anything about Prager? Yeah. Because uh, that's what all the neons were on the facade. Yeah, that was a big brand during the like nineteenth, uh, right after Prohibition, nineteen forties. They were actually big in Wrigley Field for a while. Huh. Um, and they were Chicago. Old style. Chicago yeah. brand, yeah. Um, so, uh, 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 you know, the beauty of 2018 and technology is that you can just print stuff and, and wrap it around. Yeah, some just meat. some PBR cans. Make just, it, uh, <laughs> it all tastes the same. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> we could do that. Um, yeah, not a bad idea. We'll serve all the grandpa brands. Oh, boy. <laughs> the grandpa slash hipster. it's all about the pop-ups yeah Yeah. Yeah. it's a lot of work Uh, but yeah our pop-up is going on right now and it's it's been great it's with uh right b cider yeah yeah i'm looking forward to checking that out Uh, that's gonna be awesome yeah it ends on saturday i doubt this podcast will be out by then but uh you know uh People Too should, bad, should come check it out. No, yeah. I'm kidding. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, audience. <laughs> Sorry, Ten, <yeah>. <laughs> Ten <laughs> different ciders on tap, and uh, people seem right, to like it. Right Bee's good. Like, I, I'll buy their stuff. I just bought a six-pack, and they have they have some really... I, I don't like ciders that are too sweet. 
and they have some se- their semi dry is pretty good and they're dry or very good i like their semi dry yeah it's all on the dry side and yep. uh yeah it's great and uh patty longs was the first place they were ever poured on tap yeah. so yeah oh cool uh, yeah we've got a long history with them and uh known charlie since since his brewing days yep, yep. with finch finches yep. whatever they were called <laughs> whatever they're called now uh so yeah we got that going on and um what else saturday ireland's taking on new zealand we'll be showing that game at patty longs that's oh, big match gonna be how massive. did that whole rugby weekend go it went great sort of i mean the games were all blowouts but, really um obvious ones uh yeah yeah oh my god i forgot to tell you that um so our exhibit opened november 2nd friday yes, right and that night we had a big opening party right and I was setting up, uh, you know, like half hour before everything started. And the museum is completely empty. Mm-hmm. And I hear people coming from a different direction I wasn't expecting. And it was the All Blacks. Oh, uh, cool. They were getting a oh. private tour of the Field Museum. Very oh. cool. So I was like, oh, look, if I actually like rugby, I would care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, Pat. <laughs> No, but you're I, not. But I did recognize that. <laughs> I did recognize that. Well, it wasn't really the All Blacks. It was the New oh. Zealand Maoris. Oh, sorry. I apologize yes. to everybody out there. That's all right. That's I, all right. I, I just but I could tell felt like were, correcting you after that. I could that. tell they were rugby players because they were very large. Yeah. And they were, and handsome. They were very handsome. Yeah. We all are. I was a little, I was a little scared. Um, but it was kind of cool to see. Yeah, it was a cool weekend. We had the whole officiating crew at Patty Long's uh, the Thursday before the game, which was neat, believe it or not. Uh, they all uh, talked a little bit, told some great stories. The night of your exhibition, I apologize, but we were at a fundraiser for the Irish rugby team. That was yeah. pretty awesome. And um, I was the only non-Dublin native at my table. Um, really? Yeah. And so there was a little bit of drinking going on. <laughs> <laughs> so did you go to soldier field the whole yes. time yeah yeah i uh yes too much rugby really it was three games we were there like 10 hours me and my 13 year old whoa yeah it's a lot it was a lot it was a long day um but it was great you know it's nice to see chicago care about rugby for at uh, least one weekend well but you said there's one coming up well oh, it's, not uh, here yeah it's in dublin but we'll be showing it at the bar on saturday okay okay Ireland versus the real All Blacks. So it's is that the, a big deal? It's a big deal. Number one and number two teams. In the oh, league. all right. Yeah. Intense. Intense. Yes. What's another rivalry? What's that? What's, What's another like good rugby rivalry? Well, you know, this Irish New Zealand rivalry is uh, kind of new since Ireland mm. uh, beat them for the first time in 116 years here in Chicago. Whoa, really? Two years yeah. So not much of a rivalry there. Um, but I, you know, England, everyone must have gone bananas. It, I did. Oh. Yeah, I was hung over for a week after that game. <laughs> that was my Cubs World Series. It happened right after the Cubs World Series. So, um, you know. So was, you, 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 you had a sad moment, and then you had a happy moment. That's right. <laughs> that's right. I learned a lot about myself in that Cub World Series. Huh. You know, I learned that um, uh, I can't be happy for Cub fans. It's just not in me. <laughs> Uh, I, you know, I know many of them and I love them. I love you, Liz, but um, I wasn't happy for you. And it was <laughs> actually harder on me than I thought it was going to be. I mean, I was like mentally preparing for your World Series victory and I knew it was going to be tough, but it was even tougher. And it's, it continues to be. And um, so I've learned that I'm a terrible, small, petty person. 
uh, who truly, is it just truly hates your cubs. Here's here's my question. Here's this is where I have issues with this. All right, let's hear. It. And I'm really trying to understand, which okay. is why I'm asking all the yeah, rugby yeah. questions too. Yes. Um, you live in. You've chosen to live in Chicago. Oh yeah, it's a great you've city. You've chosen to it. live on the north side, not far from Wrigley Field. Yes, this is all you true. own a bar where you play Cubs games, where you get Cubs fans, where your bar, you know, probably does pretty well during the playoffs, or if not most of the season. Yeah, it was pretty good. So, <laughs> so all of that's not good enough. Uh, you know, there's some things more important in life than money. Hate. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hating your team in baseball. See, uh, this is where you could take a page from. From those of us from from this town, is that oh you know, yeah, the, yeah, when the Cardinals, because the whole South Side just loves your Cubs, don't they? Well, Come on, see, you can be a Chicagoan and hate the Cubs worse than I do. It's called being a Sox fan. But see, I, like I don't. Yes, when the Cardinals, and the I Cubs think Bruce play, Elliott, by the way, hates the Cubs even more than I do. He does, but he's an idiot sometimes. And he owns a bar <laughs> on the north side of Chicago. He does, but he's an idiot sometimes. <laughs> um, Aren't we all? <laughs> I mean, I don't care for the Cardinals. I don't care for the White Sox. But if they win, I, whatever. Moving on. Well, they've won. You know, I mean, the Cardinals have won so much. I'm sure you've gotten used to it. This was <laughs> difficult for me. Okay, the first one. It was the first. Yeah. So the next one won't be so hard. Well, I won't be around in 100 and whatever oh, years. Oh God. <laughs> Oh, brother. Well, you know what? I can't wait to. Oh, no. I can't, I, actually, I told I told Bruce this. I told uh, Bruce Elliott this um, in. October of 2016. Yeah. I said, and actually earlier in 2016, I was like, I, when the Cubs are in the World Series, I'm going to at least spend one game watching it at the Ale House. And I'm going to be so loud, so obnoxious just for you, and be so happy. And he's like, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. And so there I was in October of 2016, and it was a phenomenal game where they won. And he was just like dumbfounded. And then, of course, they won the whole thing, and you know, I kept throwing it in his face. And so I'm going to say right now is that I will watch at least one game for the 2019 season at either Patty Long's or Kaiser Tiger, probably Patty's, because um, it's, it's closer to my house. Yeah. Will it be a, um, a, oh a play-in game for the wild card that you lose? Because oh, there's, no, there's no trophies for that. It'll be a World Series game. <laughs> a World Series game in 2019? Mm-hmm. Oh, I like oh, it. Geez. I like yeah. it. You heard it here first? I don't like this talk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think my heart can take another one. Think of me, okay? Is it really that important to win all the anguish that it puts on me? All of the trouble I get from Some all the... Some things are more important, I right? Know. Yes. <laughs> Remember, I'm married to a Cub fan. I know. You're smart. I'm not saying Tough. you're dumb. I'm just saying you know, you're a very smart fella. <laughs> but we, you know... Well... Sometimes I am. <laughs> Sometimes not. All right. Well, Liz, I cannot thank you enough for yeah. hey, taking thank you time so much. Yes. Yeah. We know you got to get your uh, your blog up before you get the I hate know, messages from Bruce Elliott. Yeah. Um, yeah, it'll go up soon. Yes. So we will let you go. And, uh, oh, you know, we didn't ask Bruce what he has going on. What's uh, happening? You didn't need to ask. Him. Oh, yeah. Nothing. <laughs> not that, <much>. that little. <laughs> going to have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah. Yeah. Say hi to your dad for us we'll at Thanksgiving. Do. Yeah, absolutely. Good. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's, um, I, I got nothing, but I, uh, we're, you know, we're having the tour guides over and to do a bottle share. That's going to nice. be fun. Um, you got something good you're going to share, you know, and I don't have anything yet. I just planned, I just decided to do this today. So I've got to come up with something good. Yeah. You got to go to the store and, uh, you know, get your 
your whale. Yeah, I got to go to Black Friday and wait for the beer. Uh, That's right. Impress the, the other yeah, nerds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. With your so, beer. So we'll, we'll My beer is bigger than yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but otherwise, touring, tours are going. Um, just, uh, and um, yeah, rocking and rolling. All right, good. Yeah. Well, happy Thanksgiving to all yeah. of our listeners. Yeah, happy uh, Thanksgiving. Yeah, eat turkey and eat too much, drink too much. That's my advice. That's, yeah. that's every day that ends in Y, right? Yeah, that is for me. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and uh, we will uh, be talking to you again on another Beer Opinions after Thanksgiving. So right. uh, remember, tell your friends, leave a review. Uh, iTunes. iTunes, Stitcher, um, uh, beeropinions.co. We're everywhere. Yeah. Um, wow, and, you uh, guys have a lot of outlets. Yeah, yeah. We only have two, I think. Well, I don't even we know. Don't, we don't really know. I don't even know. Uh, we'll talk about it. Yeah, yeah I don't know how to do this stuff. Yeah, I, I just I, show up. You think I do? <laughs> Please. All right. Thank you all, and we'll uh, hear from you again. Bye. Thanks, everybody.